everybody. Welcome back to The Smattering, where we ask the important questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall. Two episodes in a row, voice, voice of the people, Jeff. I'm really glad that you're healthy. I'm really glad that we're doing this episode today. How are you, buddy? I am great. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, be back on the mend and back into the routine and, and excited for our guest today. I'm, uh, I owe the two of you probably the most in terms of the work I've been able to do at The Motley Fool. So I'm glad to have, uh, I'm glad to have Brian Withers here with us. Yeah, it's it's great for those for those that don't know Brian. Brian and I've known each other for, I guess, the better part of a decade. When kind of the first seeds of our relationship were planted, of all places, on message boards at, at the Molly Fool, um, and then at some point Brian sent me a note. He was early 2018, I think. Brian told me just a few minutes before we hit record. I couldn't remember exactly when. Asking about writing for the Molly Fool and taking that next step. And why I think Brian's going to be a really compelling guest on this show is, you know, we talk about retirement and setting those financial goals. And that's the, that's the, like, everybody knows what they're going to retire from, right? The challenge is figuring out what you're going to retire to. And I think especially for people that are ready to walk away from the rat race before the early, the typical retirement age, but even people that retire at the retirement age. So Brian Withers, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this big, big topic. Well, thanks guys. I, I love your podcast and, and I'm excited to be a guest. That's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad you love it. I hope you're even listening to it. That'd be I, I'm I'm a subscriber, so I'm one of your dozens of listeners, I guess. There you go. That's right. There you go. Hat tip to the Motley Fool's Chris Hill there. Love that. Love that. There you go. Jeff, so as as you know, Brian's pretty active on Twitter. Um, at the end of the show, we'll share how you can find Brian, how you can follow Brian, the work that he's doing out there. Want to remind people how they find how they can find us and interact with us, Jeff. Yeah, um, we're on Twitter as well. You can reach us at Smattering Show. You can email us at thesmatteringshow at gmail.com. Um, we have a YouTube channel. You can just search for The Smattering. We are actually now also on um, all of the social medias. So if you want to find us on on Facebook or on Instagram, we're, we're there too. Um, but we're, regardless of where you find us, we really do appreciate um, if you can rate and review and share the show um, we've seen an uptick in listeners lately, so we're really thankful for everyone who has spread the word and subscribed and let people know. Um, so yeah. So Brian, you, you, have you've not taken the traditional retirement. You're, you're a young man, but you did make a decision to walk away from the corporate world substantially earlier than most people officially retire. I want to go back in time and talk about how you got to where you are now. Actually, before that, what, let's talk about like, what you're doing now. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great, before we go backwards, um, I am essentially working as a freelancer. I, I do some stuff for the Motley Fool. I also am, I guess, primarily spending most of my time with, you might have heard of Brian Feroldi and Brian Stoffel. Right. Long-term um, mindset. I've joined, yeah, long-term mindset. So I've joined the, the cohort of Brian's I met the the minimum requirements of having my first name be Brian, and not only Brian, but spelled the proper way with an I, <laughs> not a Y. And um, I've been doing that and helping them with their cohort-based courses. And um, you know, if if I hadn't been in the position, you know, if if I had been tied to the 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 nine to five grind or you know whatever. Um, you know, the, the days are long, I certainly would have been, wouldn't have been able to take the opportunity to be part of full live or be part of um, the long-term mindset. So it's been, it's been really freeing to have uh, a ton of flexibility there. Let's, let's go back in time. Let's go back to, to 2015, Brian. And I know there was a, a major event in your life where you begin to plot the kind of the, the retire from part, like the, the time to get away. Tell us, tell us what happened. 
Yeah, so just, um, I, I think it's important to understand that I'll be 56 this year. Um, so this was, what, seven, eight years ago now? So um, late 40s, and I was working full-time at, at corporate, and it was August August 2015. And you know, when you when you take a vacation from work, it's always a rush to prepare for leaving, right? And there's a bunch of things and you don't ever always get everything done. And then you just, at, at some point you just shut the laptop and say, I'm done. I'm, I'm leaving for vacation or we're going. And um, I went, went on for, went off for a week and then came back. And that, that first day back at the job is, is, is always stressful. And this one, I guess I took. Sometimes that stress makes you a question. Was it even worth it to go on a vacation, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was having fun last week and now this week, is it is it worth it? I mean, I had hundreds of emails. All the problems that, you know, I left before vacation were still there. Probably some of them were worse because I wasn't around. And so I kind of lumped through, crunched through Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then Thursday morning. Found yourself in the emergency a, room. Whew. 4 a.m. I'm like, wake up, and I have this incredible weight on my chest, and I'm like, anybody that's ever heart, oh. had a heart attack or know anybody that has is probably yeah. gripping their their, yeah. their armrest right now. Yeah, it was like, this doesn't feel right. I am not excited. I drove to the doctor's appointment. <laughs> this was this was a crazy. Knowing you, Brian, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> not at all. And when I, when I tell the story, people were like, "You drove? What are you kidding?" You know, I figured if, you know, I crashed on the side of the road, somebody, somebody would find me. <laughs> so, so you know how that goes, you crash into somebody else. Man has well, heart attack. Well, I, I didn't think about it. He was just hoping that someone would stop him and he could help sooner. That was what the plan there was. You <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. So, um, yeah, so I spent most of the day in the, in the emergency room, um, you know, all hooked up, nothing, nothing. There was, there was no heart attack. Um, you know, I talked to the doctor later, it could have been stress or, you know, tension or whatever, but you know, um, that is, that is not a fun experience. And, um, you know, I took Friday off and kind of took the weekend to sort of decompress and sort of at that point that set the seeds for me is something's got to change. That was, that was sort of the thing that I took out of all that. You, you share, you share an email with, with me and Jeff. And I think this is an email you actually had shared with me a, a few years ago too. I'm glad you brought it back up, but you got some really good advice from somebody who's a good person to get advice from. I, I did. I did. I was, I was very surprised. I had posted about this on the, on the full boards and my post is still out there. And it was, um, I think it was it's titled as what's, what's next. Right. And I talked to my story about, um, the day and my realization that something has changed. And I'm like, okay, what's next? And, and Tom Gardner actually reached out to me and sent me an email. Um, and it was, it was a lengthy email with a number of different, he and I are actually a, almost a year apart. He's a year younger than me. Yeah. Um, David Gardner is a year older than me. Um, and one of the things that he said at the end of the email was almost a PS, almost an afterthought. And he said, you know, Hey, I had, this is Tom speaking. I, my dad is 78. And he said to me a few years ago that all of his friends, the happiest ones were ones who made major life changes around the age of 50, give or take a few years. And, um, the ones that actually made life changes to live a more happier life were happy. And the ones who kind of just stuck to what they were accustomed to doing and kept at it, whether it's the grind or corporate or whatever, were really burned out. And that, that left a major impression on me. Well, I want to talk about that for a minute because let's face it, the vast majority of us go through life and inertia guides us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly before this event, I, I didn't, I, I figured I would work until I got to my magic number, stop working. And my initial, when I was 25, early in my career, your magic number meaning, I, meaning your savings. Yeah. The magic number that allows you to now retire and quit work altogether. So, you know, work, 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 cliff, 
okay, not working. Right. <laughs> right? right. And I always thought that I wanted to, you know, hang out on the beach, play golf all the time. And that's just really not the way things have turned out. And as I've grown older, I think I've grown a little wiser. But um, yes, something, you know, in my in my late 40s, realizing that I, I don't, I, one, I don't want to continue in this corporate rat race thing. Um, so, and I don't have enough money to retire right now. What am I going to do? Yeah. Well, what happened next? Yeah. So that's, you know, I reached out to you and a couple of other writers in the fool and, um, you know, it took a while to get there. Yeah. I think you've done a little um, bit of writing before that, just on a freelance basis, just a little bit here and yeah, there. Yeah, so I, you know, I'd written a lot on the boards, and and Tom Gardner always encouraged me to continue to write more and share my experiences, and and I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed interacting with with folks in the Foolish community, um, but writing articles for Fool out on the internet where anybody can see them is a little bit a little bit different. It's kind of daunting. And so by too. the end. It, it, it was, it was. And at the end of 2016, so I started that process. And so I started sort of while I was working to have this, this side hustle that I'd come home from work. I'd, I'd put a few paragraphs down. I'd work on the weekends. Um, and while I really enjoyed the, the writing process and the Motley Fool stuff, it was super hard to do while I was working. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> as someone currently doing the exact same thing it's hard it's hard to find it, the it, time it, it's hard because you get home at the end of the day and your mental energy is drained and now okay let's be creative right and write, which is one of the most sort of to me is very mind all-consuming process yeah and, and make it right so that other people will understand your train of thought um so i i paused writing for a little bit while, but, but I, I didn't let it out of my sight. And, um, you know, a few things happened. My kid, my first kid, um, kind of got through college and in 20 April of 2019, I actually took the leap and left corporate. What was the, what was the catalyst? Well, let me, let me, let me paraphrase. Let me kind of give my experience a little bit too. Okay. Um, you and you and I've talked to it. I'm sure I've talked about it a little bit um, on the on the podcast before. But it's it's a big decision. It's a big leap when you when you make that decision. My experience. My wife went through grad school, um, and I, I was the primary breadwinner. She did a postdoc after that was a paid thing, but postdocs are a temporary thing. You do it for a few years and then you move on with whatever the next step in your professional path is. So the burden of things like health benefits, uh, retirement savings, all of those things tend to be on one spouse. And I know, Brian, to a certain extent, like a lot of the benefits and that kind of thing, from what you and I've talked about, you went through the same thing. So when you are at a certain stage of life and you're looking to make this kind of a change, you're not the only person that's taking a big leap of faith to, to do that you have to have a team on your side that's willing yeah. to take on that, that risk too. Right. Yeah. So I've been married since 1990 still to the same person. God bless her. <laughs> um, and yes, yes. And, and she informed me that I did not keep her as up to date on my thinking and what was going to happen. That sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Boy, you know, you, you know, you have this health event and it's, it's so, so consuming that over the next few years, I was like, there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, you know, we had moved things to her benefits so that our health care were covered under her, her job and eventually came to be the point where um, I, the, the opportunity came up. I got a, I got a little bit of money to leave. Um, which I think is is sort of the best way to leave a company is here. Thanks. When they're paying um, you to leave, yeah, yeah, palatable. they paid me to leave, which was which was which was nice. And um, what was interesting over the next few months was I didn't really do anything. I, you know, there was some some side projects I was kind of curious in. I did a lot of of, of hiking uh, around in in the area, and 
my my wife was during that period of time there's about four or five months where i wasn't sort of working to bring money in and even though you know they'd paid me a number for for a number of months after i had left she was very nervous mm-hmm. <laughs> that you aren't working you aren't bringing in money <laughs> and so eventually so like in october i started writing for the pool and then that's that stress sort of sort of went down it didn't matter how much money I was making. It's just that I was working. Right. Right. Making that, making a contribution. Go ahead, Jeff. Right. Well, one thing I was going to ask is, so I, I mean, look, I, I like what I do from like my full-time job. Like I'm not in any hurry to do anything else. It's like, I kind of have the, I'm not in the situation you are, Brian, where like, it's, it's killing me on a daily basis. Like I'm, I'm lucky I get to enjoy a day job and I get to enjoy my side hustle and the podcast and all those things. But I am a firm believer in people doing what you did when it is to the point where like the stress of your day job is, you know, literally potentially killing you. Um, but you must've done some things right in terms of how you invested and saved while you were working that corporate job that even made entertaining what you were able to do possible. Right. So one of the questions I was wondering is like, what, what was your investing like for all of those corporate years that kind of put you in the position to be able to make this decision, which was clearly the right one for your health and, and, and you. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And not, I, I was financially in a place where we could take that leap. And I, and I looked back and I did the math. It was about an 80% pay cut the first year. Um, which is, which is pretty dramatic when, um, you know, I was the main breadwinner and bringing home a a healthy six figure salary. Um, so during the period, and and I sort of got a late start. Um, I, some of you have heard me tell a story about how I got my kids invested in 2004 when I was 37. Um, that's when I started taking investing seriously and joined the Motley Fool and, and got them to be my, I, I guess I call them my investing buddy. But, but throughout, you know, kind of 2004 forward, um, I was putting money in my 401k to make the maximum match. And I realized that anything beyond the match you were sort of one, you didn't have a ton of great options, usually uh, 401k. I did have the S&P index fund, which I was investing in, um, but that's at the market return. And I didn't have other options beyond that. And if you put money beyond the match into your 401k, it locks it up. And so that's a, this is sort of a key thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about that made all of this possible was the money beyond the match went into a brokerage account. It's a taxable brokerage. Taxable brokerage account. And I was investing in individual stocks in my taxable brokerage account. And my 401k was invested in this index fund in a, you know, pay every two weeks. And so the, the nice part of the 401k is it's sort of on automatic and all that, that great stuff. But sort of the downside is you can't get access to retirement funds until you're 59 and a half. Yeah, right. that's and, a big thing. Right. If you, if you yeah. take money out early, not only does it become a taxable, an income taxable event, there's tax penalties. It can be as much as like 20%. It can be a substantial penalty for, for taking that money out early. Yeah. And so that money, so, so luckily early on, I realized when I was in my late 30s that I'm going to put money in this brokerage account. And what that allowed me to do, you know, 10, 12 years later was have the flexibility. You were building optionality. I I was, and I didn't realize how important it was at the time, but you know, if, if some of your listeners are, um, you know, in, in their thirties or whatever, absolutely consider putting money away outside of your 401k to give you more flexibility as, as you age. I'm going to put it, on. Al- it also, it also gives you flexibility. Should you be in a position to use that money for something other than retirement? Right. Like, like I, I, I'm, I'm, it resonates with me cause I'm, I do a similar thing having come to individual stock investing even later than you did. Like I didn't buy my first individual stock till uh, three. Oh, you years don't ago. look a day over thirty-two, Jeff. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, 
But oh, he's my, not a day over thirty-two. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I'm much more than a <laughs> decade. Much more than a day over thirty-two. God, I would love to be thirty-two. Um, no, but I, I was that it was something I considered too, which was like I'm ostensibly investing in my brokerage account for way down the road, but I also knew that like if I do it well or it's enough time goes by or I get lucky with a certain stock or whatever, like I could be in a position five or six years, seven years down the road from now where. Oh, maybe I do use some of this to pay off that last college bill, or whatever. Put a put a new patio out in my backyard, or whatever the thing is. So it, it gives you optionality, you know, even beyond saving for a potential early retirement. I want to put on my I'm going to yeah. put on my my tax expert hat here for just a second. I'm not a tax professional, um, but over the past decade, I've learned a tremendous amount about it, and I, I appreciate Brian. Um, what you're talking about, and particularly for people that are high earners, that's generally the best option, right? You max out your 401k, um, if you, especially if you have the ability to buy really low cost index funds or individual stocks. Some companies, some companies have that option for their employees, and then from there, you every dollar of disposable income you put into that that taxable account. But for anybody that has access to a Roth. IRA, I think that's like maybe the waterfall for a lot of people is your you get your match, your company match, and you max out that Roth IRA, which is six or seven thousand dollars now, somewhere around there. And then you go to the taxable after that. And here's the reason, the reason why I think the Roth IRA is so compelling. Now you can't withdraw gains until you've reached retirement age, 59 and a half. But you can re- you can withdraw your contributions at any time with no penalty whatsoever. So if you spend a decade and you put seven six thousand dollars in every year, that's sixty thousand dollars that you can withdraw early. Um, so you have a little bit of built-in optionality there. Plus, all of those gains once you do retire, they're tax-free. They're, they're completely tax-free. So. Think about your individual like this. We say in the show, right? We love to answer the hard questions. You have to answer them for the, for yourself. So, and that's Brian, that's, that's what you've done. So again, so we've talked about your, how you got to the point where you had to retire from the steps that you took to create the magic number to get the wealth, to be able to do it. I want to talk about. Yeah. And so I, I just kind of want to comment please. on that too, is what I realized when I was approaching that I want to leave corporate date is that because I was 52, the number that was the most important to me was the amount that was in my brokerage account. None of the, none of the stuff in the IRA, the Roth, the 401k, none of that matters. Because that's your bridge funds to get you to being able to tap those funds without paying those that penalties. was the formula right, right. you just, you just long, had to get to 59 and a half <laughs> right how 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 long can i make this money in my brokerage account last if i have a salary that's you know 80 percent less than i had and i have to pull out some portion of that money every year and that's and that's where i am and that's been tremendously freeing so let's let's talk about the transition from retire from to retire to you made that decision you had the magic number whether she realized it or not your wife bought into it (laughs) you spent some time being introspective kind of fell into the area where there was again we talked about inertia right you already had some experience writing for the fool something you understood you've been successful as an investor you had value to 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 add let's talk about how that begin to kind of build into what now has culminated something that I know that you're really driven by and that's helping other people kind of do the same thing that you've done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll just make a quick point is when, when I left corporate in 2019, I didn't have enough to retire. Um, I was probably half, half to, you know, um, a little less than half to where I needed to be. But, you know, if I could buy myself time, if I could buy myself seven, 10, 12 years, the bridge, that was, that was all I needed to solve for at that point. 
And so right. that, that made the formula easier and to figure out what I wanted to do. So, you know, as you point out, I jumped into writing um, and really that's all I did for about a year or so. And then Motley Fool Live got started and we were- Well, a little thing happened that of, kind of changed the world. Yeah, March, yeah. March, February, uh, yeah, March Coronavirus at the yeah. end of 2019. And at the same time, which was interesting, was um, to prepare- for sort of leaving corporate and, and one of the kids leaving, leaving the house is we, we sold our massive 2,500, 2,800 square foot house with a basement, a pool, an acre in New Jersey and moved to the next town over to, um, to live in a townhouse for a period of time. Um, and, if, I, I'd love to, t- to, we could do a whole show on downsizing. Um, it is quite the process and thank goodness my, my wife was, was all in because after you've built up, we've, we've lived, this is our seventh house. We've bought seven, sold six. Um, you know, after you've been through a number of houses, you just collect stuff mm-hmm. and it just doesn't go away. And so that downsizing process took, took a period of time. You filled up six say, nests. Yeah. Yeah. We saved tons of money when we moved to the, the, uh, the townhouse. And then since I was working from home, I was in, I was encouraged to, Hey honey, let's move someplace warmer and cheaper than New Jersey. Sorry, Jeff. I know you enjoyed that's the first mistake you've talked about so far on this podcast (laughs) leaving New Jersey, but I'll, I'll let it slide. It's fine. So, uh, yeah, so we moved down to Chapel Hill, December of 2019, and that's just before the coronavirus. And, um, and so the Motley Fool started up their full live stuff and we were, we were living in a teeny apartment. We had just gotten a dog and I was like, man, I really want to do this full live stuff, but I just can't right now. And, you know, you fill out these little spreadsheets and express interest and whatnot. And then, you know, I said, I can't do it right now. And usually at the Motley Fool, it's like, okay, well, you missed your chance Mm -hmm. and you'll never get another chance again. But luckily in November of that year, uh, Asset called me and said, hey, do you want to be on the show? And I'm like, yes, yes, please. For those that don't know, Asset, Asset Sharma, longtime writer for the Motley Fool, one of our long colleagues, good friend. Actually lives in your neck of the woods. He does. He does. He still owes me coffee. He promised to meet me before, um, you know, the coronavirus and buy me a coffee and it hasn't happened yet. So that's, well, I'm sure he's listening. For you, also. Oh, uh, yes, I'm sure he is. <laughs> but, but so the full live was the next transition, right? So, um, I started getting more, more time on air. You and I hooked up Jason and, and we were doing, um, the rap. We were doing a, we were doing I saw a rap you more than the, I saw my wife. News. Yeah. We, we saw each other quite a bit. And, um, so eventually sort of the, the writing stuff stopped and, and we became on air personalities and that was just tremendous fun. Um, and then that, you know, sometimes good things come to an end and, and they've wound down the, uh, the hours. And, um, what was interesting is within an hour of Motley Fool saying, Hey, we're going to cut back. We're going to do this. Our show's good to 30 minutes, whatever. Um, Mr. Froldy called me and said, Hey, do, do you want to come hang out with us? And I'm like, cool. That's, that's fantastic. And, uh- there's a part of that that I think is really important to kind of circle back around to, and that's always being mentally flexible and always be learning and always be evolving. And the, the, the transition, Brian, one of the things I can say that I think it's important, and I think you can, you'll agree with this, is that going through that period, the downturn, like as an investor, it, it was just another reminder of the importance of the long-term mindset. I know a lot of us mm. built tremendous wealth during that downturn by acting very decisively and quickly and aggressively in the, in the, in the short term, but also doing it with the focus on this is going to pay off over the long term. And it certainly did. And now what we've all dealt with over the past year with the markets being just so tough and so painful I think most of us can still say we're net up pretty good from where things were in early 2020. But the other part of it too is that being mentally flexible 
and learning and being willing to embrace change and embrace the opportunities that change creates. Because I've learned so much about myself speaking and, and being in front of a camera mm. um, and it kind of igniting a bit of a passion for this being a way that I can be a tool to help. Jeff, this is the part where you say, well, Jason, you've always been a tool, um, but I'll say it for you. <laughs> Um, but to be a, to, a tool for those who are looking to figure out how to build generational wealth and find the way to invest um, for the long term. Yeah. And so certainly you kind of bring up 2022 and um, for folks who know me and have seen some of my posts on Twitter, um, I have a pretty concentrated portfolio um, and there's a lot of tech in it tech, e-commerce, uh, cloud stocks, things like that. And man, 2022 was brutal, brutal. My worst year ever as an investor. And, um, you know, I don't have my big six-figure corporate job. We're living down here. Uh, luckily, you know, we'd lowered our, our expenses by, by moving to North Carolina. But man, that, that, was, that was kind of a gut punch. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Go ahead, um, go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to say, like, I, I'll leave it to you, Brian, to to like decide how much you want to go further into that piece of it. But one of the questions I was wondering is like, now that you're in this, let's call it like bridge bridge period, right? Trying to get to fifty nine and a half. Um, how has your investing changed? Like, are you still like contributing to all of your retirement accounts, or is it more about sort of maintaining them? till you can get to 59 and a half. Like, I'm just curious, like how you're, the way you approach investing has shifted as you've made the transition to what you're doing now. Yeah. What's, what's interesting. I was, I looked back in sort of preparation for the show, sort of where I was in 2019 and where the money was in the brokerage and in retirement accounts is, is very different from, from where it is today. And, um, part of, part of what we use the money in the brokerage account was to buy a house. And so, you know, I'd cashed out in, I think, 2017 um, and we sort of invested some of that money. And then we pulled some of it back out in early 2020. Uh, wow. That was extremely fortunate um, to buy the house that we're living in today. Um, but my percentages have changed significantly and sort of I was I was I was pleased to see that the retirement accounts from um, sort of the 2019 when I when I left corporate to today, they've actually doubled over that period of time, which is exactly what I wanted to happen. Um, and they're a much bigger percentage of my overall portfolio, um, whereas I've been kind of focused on the brokerage account number because that's the sort of the money that we have to live and um, to your to your to answer your question, I am not contributing to four hundred one ks anymore. My wife is. We're getting a match there, um, but yeah, we aren't contributing anymore. And if anything, we're withdrawing from the brokerage account to sort of supplement my income. Yeah, and that it's interesting what you say about what has happened to the retirement accounts, the four hundred one ks since you left your corporate job, because that's been my experience with. Up until 2020, when I started to buy individual stocks, my entire investing experience has been just that part where you sort of, like you said earlier, like you set it and forget it. Every two weeks, the money goes there. And it's just sort of over the 20 plus years that I've been doing that, it is amazing to look back. And this is what's given me um, confidence to get through the last the last year. You know, Being a, a new investor in individual stocks in 2020 has certainly been an interesting ride through that from that point to now. But what I always have to kind of fall back on and rely on is that memory of 20 plus years of getting a quarterly statement from my uh, four, you know, 403B and be like, oh, wow, you know, over decades, this compounding thing really does work. And that money is growing very nicely in the background and I won't need it for another, you know, d several, several years. Um, but it's interesting, like I had that same experience before I became an individual stock investor that, that you just experienced. Yeah, I was I was talking to my son the other day, and um, he's been inputting into his four hundred one k for like a year and a half now, and sort of the same thing. He's like, you know, I, I don't even really think about it because it comes out before you get paid. And he's like, I looked at the balance, and I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, that, there, there's money there, <laughs> and, it, and it feels painless. 
Let's let's get back to the painful part, though. Right. Uh, I know. Thanks, I know. thanks, Jason. I, no, I, I was going to give you the out. Jason's the one who's pulling <laughs> you back in. <laughs> but I think it's important because you know, let's 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 be honest. I think anybody that's going to retire um, early, on time, late, whatever, if th- there's a good chance you're going to live a long period of time, you know, typically decades, where you're not contributing anymore and you're just living off of what you have there. And that means you're going to go through a downturn, right? You're going to go through some period where your portfolio loses value. So let's talk about, Brian, just like your, what is your process and how has it changed? Not just like the actual framework, but like the emotional part of it. How's, how is, how do you deal with it and how is it different than it was five years ago? Yeah, it's interesting. You and I have exchanged some texts, texts, on um, this as the market was was sort of cratering. And my approach has always been stay in the market. Um, but it's, it's been painful for, for 2022 to why I think 2022 I had from what I started with to what I finished with, it went down about 60%. And, um, you know, I was 55, so that's not a bad thing. And I'm, I'm kind of, working, doing things that I enjoy bringing in income. So I'm not dependent on that money yet, but had that happened when I was 65, that would have been detrimental to, um, you know, the retirement process. And, you know, if, if I had done at that point was playing golf four times a week and, and, you know, not pulling in any income. So, um, my approach coming into the 2020s was I wanted to, I, I like you had a hundred plus stocks at one point and I got down to, I'm at 18 now, I think. And, and the thought process was I, I'm pretty decent at this, been at this for a while, been writing for the Motley Fool, done, done tons of deep dives. I should I feel like I know what my highest conviction positions are. So why don't I put more money in those? And, you know, that should help me sleep at night because these are my best ideas, right? Yeah, this um, this blows my mind because this is just completely the inverse of how I think about it. <laughs> but no. this is, Jason's skin is crawling right now. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I'm crying. If I made inside. you pick twenty, I don't think you could do it. No, no, I couldn't. But, I, but I think that's the key, right? This is where there's, you know, there's what they is in the textbooks, and there's what they teach in finance about optimal way to do it. But we're humans, and we're messy, and we have messy emotions, and you have to, you have to optimize for yourself. Right, right, and so part of it was. I wanted to be comfortable with my holdings and I'm kind of in the business of keeping track of these things. You know, I'm, I do the earnings show, you know, dive into stuff. I do deep dives, whatever. And so and it's an extension um, a little bit to the, the work you did. You're, you're an organized person that yeah. you know how to handle projects and a lot of data and, and make the most of it. And, but what's been interesting over the last year as the market has cratered, um, is that there have been some companies of my 18 that I've lost some confidence in. And I, and it did end up selling some at the end of and end of last year. Um, and you know, my, my thought was I would buy 18 great companies and set it and forget it, but that's not been the case. And so some of these positions, because I only have 18 stocks, um, and let's just say I have 20, just to make the math easier, you take a hundred divided by 20, the average position size is five, 5%. And so when one of those stocks goes down considerably, it's a, it's a big impact. And so I thought I would be more comfortable. Um, but I guess I don't know that there's a way that I could have made 2022 comfortable in it, even, even if I had a do over. Other than going to mostly mostly cash, <laughs> well, and and I suck at timing, so that's the thing. Most of us do because there's no really actionable data out there we can make that kind of a big a big decision on. I think we got we've got one more question here for you. Yeah, so I guess the the logical next step to the conversation we're having, Brian, is so now you're in this bridge period. You're doing work you love. You're you know fulfilled professionally. 
but you do at some point will have the option to stop working whenever you're ready to do that. So as you think about you know that next transition of whenever you do either scale back entirely or or a lot what you're doing now are you thinking about changing your allocations or your or your investing strategy over the next say 10 15 years as you make that like next transition like how do you think about we talked about the present we talked about the past right. how do you think about the future yeah so um as part of sort of this this big drawdown this past year i've moved into a, but prior to prior to 2022, I don't think any of the companies that I invested in posted a profit. Maybe one. Um, none of them were dividend payers. Um, all of them were high growth tech, software, e-commerce companies. And so I have added a couple of REITs to my portfolio: Digital Realty and Prologis. And over the next ten years you know, say I take one of my growth growth stocks and swap it out for a reliable dividend payer um, that maybe when I'm 65, maybe half of my portfolio or half of my stocks is, are in some income producing stocks. And then, but I, but I'm never going to give up the growth you know, and I, I, that it'll just be a small. Ryan, you're planning to live forever now, right? That's your, that's your goal. Well, I do want to live to a hundred. There you go. So, you know, that's another, at least 44 years. So, you know, I, I give a long-term perspective on it. There you go. You're a perfect fit for the long-term mindset guys. (laughs) Well, I, I, I think that's a really interesting point because the, you know, if you just, if you just pay attention to the traditional cookie cutter financial advice you hear out there, it would suggest that by the time you get to retirement age, you should be in completely conservative investments, right? You should be out of stocks entirely and mostly in cash or maybe bonds or short-term things. So one of the things I've been learning over the time I've been sort of putting the same time and effort in that you guys have for a while now is thinking differently about what my financial and investing uh, portfolio might look like as I approach you know, my retirement age and just thinking about, cause I used to think in my twenties, like, Oh, by that point I'll be in, in cash and bonds. Cause that, you know, the 60, 40 right. thing and it shifts as you get older and all that stuff. And I've, I've, it's really kind of expanded my thinking to hear how other people think about that as they approach retirement age. Well, and you know, if I'm going to live to be a hundred or at least, you know, 85 is what the typical, um, you know, code of my life expectancy is at this point, even when I turn 65, that's another 20 years. So, um, you know, you could have some portion of your portfolio in, um, you know, some maybe higher risk growthy stocks that you could let run for five or 10 years. So um, that, that's sort of the way I'm approaching it now. I never thought I would say I'd buy a bunch of dividend stocks, but, um, you know, here I am after 2022 uh, being, being a little bit flexible and, and changing my approach. Hey, Jeff, Brian, let's, um, you guys want to go over to the break room and grab a cup of coffee? Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's take a quick break. <laughs> let's do that. All right. Hey, everybody, don't don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Listen to this ad. That's that's where we get our money from. And um, we'll we'll be right we'll be right back. Got a fun lightning round plan with Brian. So be sure to come back for that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Hopefully, hopefully you heard something besides Jeff's voice there. Brian Withers, are you ready for the lightning round? I am ready for the lightning round. We have five questions here. Jeff, you want to kick us off? All right. Lightning round question number one for Brian Withers. What's the stock that's most responsible for your wealth? You know, I, I guessed and I guessed wrong, um, but the stock is Mercado Libre. Wow, Mercado Libre, that that wonderful e-commerce 
and now paying yeah, us. Yeah, so I've held story. it for more than eight years now. Yeah. So it's a combination of it's been a long time holding for me, as well as I think I've added, I've bought it like thirteen times yeah. over the last eight years. So similar, similar story. Do you think Mercado Libre is worth buying today? Oh, it's a steal today. Yeah, <laughs> love it, love it. All right, next question here: What's the stock that's cost you the most wealth? So just actual real dollar money loss, and and Jason, you're gonna you're gonna shake your head at this. It's been lemonade. Yeah, um, no, I'm I'm, I'm sending the, you I'm sending you an over the airwaves hug right now because yeah I feel yeah you. you know when when they announced the merger with Metro Mile or the the acquisition, I'm like, mm-hmm. man, this is the last piece of the puzzle that they need. Yeah. This is gonna make everything awesome. And the stock's been down, I don't know, 50%. They record, then, keep so. reporting this, 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 these numbers that reflect the terrible ability to actually write insurance policies. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think well, we've, we've talked about it before. It, it's, the, it's, the, it's such a great story stock. Yeah. Now we just need to make sure they can write insurance yeah, can policies. Execute. I'm yes. optimistic, Brian. Yes. I've got a, we've got a video going up on our YouTube page. I'm optimistic this is the year they fix their underwriting. I, I hope so. You had another um, one need- for this that I think that I love the fact that you added this other one because it's not just lemonade's the one you lost money on, but this is the one that you missed money on. Yeah, this is this is the one that got away. Um, I sold Netflix. I sold out of my position completely in 2009, 2010 range. Um, oh, I and, beat you. I held and, till 2012. And, and- yeah, at the time it was actually my largest position. It was some twenty three percent of my portfolio, and I don't know that I would have been able to hold through the the Quickster debacle and all the other stuff. But um, had I held those shares that I sold in in twenty ten, um, that would have eclipsed my entire portfolio several times for for what I have today. So yeah. that's that was definitely the the sort of the biggest investing mistake. But you hit on a key there, the, your your ability to hold through that. My, I know my ability to hold through one stock becoming that outsized a portion of my wealth is a rounding error from zero. It's just, it's impossible to yeah. do. All right, what's next, Jeff? All right, what is the biggest investing lesson you've learned over your time as, as, as an investor? You know, this was a, this is a fun question. It's hard to, hard to put on one thing, but I, I think... Um, the, the thing that most resonates with me is when folks say hold for the long term, I never really knew what that meant. And now I am comfortable to say that means decade or more. It's not three years. And no, yeah. no, it's not even five. Um, but the, the long term gains that you'll get. And, I, and part of this was I learned through investing with my kids um, they've they bought some stocks in 2005, six and seven that they still hold today. And, um, you know, you look at the, you look at the position in the portfolio and 90% of it, 90 plus percent of it is gains. It's just, it's just mind boggling. What, what time will do if you're patient. Yeah. Here's an example that Jeff and I just stumbled on Moody's in the Berkshire portfolio. It's worth between five and $6 billion. Berkshire's cost basis, $248 million. Yeah, yeah. the the amount that that guy gets per year in dividends is just oh, mind blowing, staggering. Yeah, it's insane. All right, so you, Mr. Concentration, maybe you, that's your superhero name. You're you're Captain Concentration. <laughs> your seventeen you stocks go. in your portfolio, eighteen stocks in your portfolio. Let's talk about stocks that are you don't own, but they're like they're right on the cusp that they would be they would be in there. Yeah, so I, I have two. Um, and they both begin with H. So, so interestingly enough, um, you know, Jason, I've been talking to you about what the next dividend stock is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no, no matter what, no matter what happens with the housing market and, um, you know, people living in homes and, um, you know, housing shortage and whatnot, Home Depot, I think, is set to thrive continue to thrive. And it's been a, just an absolutely wonderful business over the, over the last 10, 20, whatever years. And I continue as a homeowner, I continue to fund them yeah. and I do not own their stock. Same. So, um, home, home Depot is the, when I, when I'm swapping out a growth stock, I, I, I think that one's the next one to add. 
The other one has been interesting. I've, I owned it for a while, but it's come back on my radar and they have just done a tremendous job of going beyond their initial niche. And I think HubSpot has a ton of optionality ahead. Um, they've, they've captured um, some customers with their CRM and marketing, uh, marketing hub and have um, expanded beyond that to an operations hub, a service hub, and whatnot. And so their, their land and expand motion has been just tremendous. And they're, um, they spend a ton on R&D, which I love. Um, so they remind me a good bit of Atlassian, which is another one of my favorite companies. I love that you, uh, your two examples there were like future Brian versus current yes, Brian, right? Yes, I, I'm very <laughs> torn between the two, right? So I think you sort of touched on this, but the last lightning round question is, why aren't those two stocks in your portfolio yet? Yeah, so the, the tough part about being semi-retired or not completely retired or whatever the heck state that I'm in today is that um, the money we we make bring in the household um, kind of covers our cost, not quite. Um, we, we have to pull money out of the brokerage account. So I'm not actively putting money in the market um, every couple of weeks. So, um, somebody, somebody called it the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the trailer problem where if you add something into the trailer, something else has to come out. Right. So, um, yeah, there's a certain amount of money in my portfolio and, um, I have to, I have to trim something to add something. All right, Brian Withers, uh, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a, a great conversation. Look forward to having you back on sometime. Awesome. Uh, love, love being here. All right, Jeff, I think we did it, right? We did it. We did another podcast. Fantastic. All right, friends, as always, we are here to ask those important questions. We're going to give our answers. Sometimes they're fantastic answers. No matter how good our answers are, you need to answer them for yourselves. Make your own decisions, people. You can do it. I believe in you. I believe in Brian Withers, too. All right, Jeff. We'll see you next time, buddy. See you next time.